And this is what I enjoy the most. I like this conceptual thinking of developing something from scratch and impress someone in a way they want to work with us. That's what I enjoy a lot. Hello everyone, my name is Andash. I'm a designer from Budapest and this is Off Brief. Off Brief is a podcast where I sit down with designers and people from the creative industry to talk about a number of topics that we find interesting. It's a format that is unscripted and long form. And this time uh, I was able to travel to Prague to meet with Alesh Neshatril, who is a designer and now a design director at STRV. So I think it was a really fun discussion and I invite you to listen to it. So welcome. By the way, thanks Pavel for the coffee. It was really good. You are listening to and maybe watching Off Brief. So we are rolling. Perfect. Uh Thank you for welcoming me to the SDRV offices. It's really nice to be here. Uh, can you tell me what which room are we in? We are in a hall of justice right hall now. Hall of justice. <laughs> that is just amazing. This is where justice happens. That's great. Of course. Um, so basically, uh, since uh, I've had a trip to your beautiful city, Prague, I thought, why not record a, an episode with you? And uh, I'm really glad that you've accepted it. And, and thank you for being here, really. I appreciate the time. Um, Thanks as well. I have uh, a bunch of different topics that I, I want to talk to you about. And uh, first, I know you, I mean, I've seen your account on Instagram and, and you're quite big there. How many followers do you have now? Oh man, I don't know. Over 18,000 right now? Over 18,000. That's cool. Because <laughs> uh, you're, I think... I mean, you don't share boobies and, and, and <laughs> no, I don't. Other pictures. That wasn't uh, the plan. So uh, you're not a mainstream account in that sense, uh, and it's still really, really nice to see people following, uh, like a, I know a designer's account, and you have a, a very consistent uh, output. You have a very nice grid. You have uh, very cool photos. Do you want to talk about that for for a while? For sure, we can start about that for sure. Um... I mean, it wasn't really a plan to have an account like this, to be honest, because what I usually wanted to do was to share my work. And Instagram seems like a good platform to do it because it was growing at a time and I was considering it. But even before Instagram, I was actually doing the same on Dribble. Um, <laughs> so this is where it initially started. And then over time, it kind of transformed to Instagram. And it's quite funny because I'm not a good photographer at all. Um, and I'm... Maybe I don't see myself as like an influencer or all this like buzzword that everyone's using right now. I uh, usually well, do it. you are in the designer community, I think. Could be, but I don't like consider myself that way. Okay, it's, yeah, it's makes just, sense. It's just like doing good work and talking about it with others. That's pretty much the plan, what I'm doing. And over time it grew into these numbers, which is exciting. But on the other hand, what people don't usually realize is actually bringing quite a lot of pressure on yourself or myself as a creator, because you still need to put out new work, right? To keep people entertained and, and keep their attention. So that's, uh, it might sound nice to have numbers like this or account like this, but mm -hmm. it's also quite a lot of work behind the scenes. And also what people don't see, it's like a hard to keep it up, let's say. I see. Do you have a fear of posting? I mean, uh, thinking of a post that is, is not as good as the previous ones, or, or do you have any 
fear like that mm-hmm. or not really? Not really a fear of posting, but maybe to keep a certain quality over time mm-hmm. uh, in terms of am I still progressing or am I still posting the same stuff all over again? Mm-hmm. Which I think can sometimes fall into a stereotype, uh, which is something I don't want to do. I still want to grow and I still want to learn new things and talk about those. But sometimes it's like... Um, not sure how to describe it exactly. It could be like a blog sometimes where you're not sure whether this could be interesting for others or not, which sometimes is interesting for you, but you're not sure about how to talk about it or how to mention it, how to bring it up as a topic. So it is sometimes more difficult to select the things I want to post rather than just um, have uh, you know, fear of posting. It's like being selective more and more to only like, create the stuff you want to put out there. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds... Cool. I and mean, I, th- I think other other like designers and creators also have that uh, because you're the more people you have and more people are following you, the you feel certain like obligation to keep them or keep the like keep profile. their attention up. Yeah, yeah, keep the uh, the level of your profile really good, and also in the same time keep progressing as a creative person because if you got stuck, like it's maybe not gonna be inter- interesting for people anymore, and basically your profile will degrade over time. So that's what people like fear over mm-hmm. time. I would say. And it's also been a struggle of mine, uh, to be honest. Wow, that that's interesting that you uh, yeah talk about struggle. Although uh, from the outside, it re- looks really nice and it looks really professional. So uh, congratulations for, for that, <laughs> by the way. Uh, just a little bit on on your background and uh, where you come from and and how you got into design. Not not really photography. We can talk about Instagram later on. Um, I am really curious about how you can be uh, at such a big company working as a creative director. Uh, and also just one fun fact, if, if we go back to history, uh, not, not history, <laughs> we were born on the same day. Yes. Uh, we are the same age, 26. Um, so that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel about your age and working as a, as a creative di- director at STRV. Can you talk about that for, for a bit? Well, it might be surprising for a lot of people. And I, I've um, like talked about it before because they see it as something that is, which is unusual. Um, they have the creative director role associated with someone who is like 20, 30 years in a business or in an industry. And in my case, it was sort of a different story because I kind of, with the company and how it grew over time, I uh, had a chance to work on stuff that was maybe something outside of my like regular um, scope of work. So besides working on clients, I also had a chance to work with different teams and, and basically lead uh, some of the things on, on our end. And over time, we just felt like um, maybe stepping up or having someone who is responsible for those things in our company could be associated with a creative director role. Um, and we agreed with the team and, and uh, my colleagues that this is maybe a way how to do it because it sends also a signal to clients. Hey, mm-hmm. there's someone who is responsible for the whole team. There is someone who is, um, you know, have the skills on a certain level you are looking for. And it actually helped me to, when negotiating with clients or presenting the company, to have a, I don't know how to describe it, like a sense of someone who knows what they're doing, if I simplify it. And... To me, again, if you bring it up to some stuff in the background, like, again, it's maybe a little bit of pressure on myself as well. Mm-hmm. So everyone only sees the nice, fancy title of, you know, you're leading the team, you're doing these amazing client But work. it's a lot of work. But it's a lot of work. And I think it is appropriate to have a title like this when you are handling, I don't know, 14 people in a team, when you're discussing clients like Microsoft or Boosted Boards, like you have to 
be on a certain level in terms of your skills to do that. And I think the title kind of reflects that. The other thing is that most people don't see it that way. So that's just, this is where like uh, sometimes some, um, you know, we had issues in the past who people are complaining like in a community like how he can have such a title when he's, you know, working just five, 10 years mm -hmm. in a business. Like we work our ass off to get there, et cetera. But this is a different story. This is a different company. And it just fits the the circumstances we have right now and it works perfectly. That's that's great, really. And uh, and you have, as I see it, I mean, being here in this office for just one hour now <laughs> until we've set up all this equipment, uh, the, the culture uh, looks really nice. And um, as I'm talking about culture, I mean, I see people here. I see people uh, greeting me here <laughs> and also see the, just the environment of, of, of where you work. Uh, and it looks really, really amazing. And uh, you, you are a network of, of companies, right? So SDRV in, in that sense is not only based in Prague, but, but in other places. Yeah, we also have offices in LA and San Francisco mainly. This is where most of our business is, so it makes sense to have a sales team in there. In Czech Republic, we also have Brno office, which is quite small, uh, but we also have plenty of people in there. So we're basically having the, the sales and slash marketing team in the US and the, the production team in, in Europe. And how many people are you here with? Right now, it's like 180, I would say. I don't know the exact number. Uh, so that's the total of the company. And in Prague, it's like 140, 120. So the majority of, yes, majority of is in Prague. people in Europe are in Prague, basically. Yep. And uh, in terms of production people, what is the percentage or, or number? So most of these people are developers. Um, mm -hmm. That's the majority. And design team has 14. And then other um, other smaller teams have around like 5, 10, if you count marketing, finance. And you are responsible for the design team, yes, obviously. Yes, for the design team only. And... Uh, and you are doing UI and UX, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's how I started. Uh, it was first only web design. That's pretty much how yeah. everyone started, right? Photoshop uh, time. Yes, uh, back in years. And then it kind of shifted over UI, UX, where it's funny because when I was signing up for STRV, I only had like two apps in my portfolio. I didn't really... You've already had two apps. That's, that's yeah, it's great. It's like a like side project. A lot project. of people don't have two apps in their yeah. portfolio. And like one of them was a client work, mm -hmm. but then it was just uh, like side projects. So I started pretty much on a, I consider like a junior position, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. No one and does. then, and when I got the opportunity to get my hands on client work and join um, STRV at a time, it kind of snowballed over time and I learned more and more about it. And then I felt comfortable when dealing with bigger accounts and bigger projects. And do you only talk to designers and project managers uh, or as as your role suggests, uh, you are doing a lot of management work as well. So do you communicate with clients or do you communicate with people inside the, your, I don't know, project management team? Mm, I think it's set up a little differently uh, in our company where I'm not personally involved in client projects uh, where designer who is assigned to a project is handling all everything on their own mm -hmm. and I'm only looking after the whole team uh, from the high level and the quality of work yes in so a sense. basically how the work goes and and what do they uh, mm -hmm. I mean develop throughout the yes exactly the um, and, and then it's up to a designer who is on a project to lead it on their own so mm -hmm. imagine you'll be a freelancer you're assigned to a project and you take care of everything including tasks uh, you know, management and, and delivery, all of that is on your own. And I'm only there to support you in case you need any help. Um, wow. 
and it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of freedom. That that's that that sounds good. And how do you distribute your resources? I mean, first of all, your own, and and also the the team's resources. So, like, uh, what I want to ask is how you allocate your time throughout the day, and and what does like an average day for you look look like? So it changed a little uh, in the beginning of this year because I um, took over the whole team. Previously, I was leading it with a colleague, so there are two of us. But since uh, January, I'm only uh, like a solo leader for the mm-hmm. whole team. So that means I take uh, take care of everything from marketing, sales, uh, resources, as you mentioned, leading the team uh, and management. And my day right now is shifted more t- towards the, the managerial role. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And in getting used to handling resources, handling hiring, handling the whole team on its own as itself. So that means less design time, um, which is kind of hard for me, right? I'm used to constantly put out new work. Operational work. Operational, like, yeah. On, on the computer within uh, Sketch or other platforms. Yeah, yeah. And now it's kind of shifting towards being the actual leader of the team, which mm. is something I'm getting used to quite a lot. But I saw it as an interesting challenge for myself because I can maybe... Since the, the the approach in our company is quite, uh, you know, we have a lot of freedoms, uh, freedom as a, in, and as a employees, I had a chance to customize this role for myself any way I want. So that means if I um, make a system in a way how I deal with leadership and management, I have free t- more free time for design work, right? So that is what I'm trying to do right now to kind of optimize my role. So I still take care of everything that is required in a team, including other people, resources, management. And then in the end also have free time to do design. So that means I can maybe have one client at a time and still do the, the teamwork. So that is what I'm trying to do. Um, and if we would take a typical day, it usually starts with uh, putting the team first. So I need to make sure the whole team is running smoothly. And then I can think of other stuff I can do in my free time, whether it's um, trying to improve our process as a team or doing my own personal stuff. That's uh, always secondary. Wow. And... Uh... I mean, what I want to ask is, can you take on a client project and still be able to manage the team that you have to manage? And have you been uh, doing it in, in the past, I know, half half a year or, or how much have you been involved in this yeah, position? Yeah. Uh, I have a long-term client right now, which mm-hmm. is lasting for more than a year. And it was you know, designed at, a, at the initial stage and it's more uh, like a support role right now supporting developers and making sure it's going to be developed the way I want. Oh, so, so a lot of handovers with yes. the developers. Uh, so I'm okay. not involved that much as I was mm-hmm. uh, before, but that's pretty much the plan. I always want to keep progressing as a designer because I'm afraid that if I'll be only the leader and manager, I will lose a sense of design. And mm-hmm. I think that's important to at least kill, keep, keep yourself, yourself sharp. Yeah, and occupied by, I don't know whether it's a client work or side project, whatever it is, but just keep designing. And that's uh, what I wanted to make essential part of my role as well, because having like leading a team and having not like not having a sense about latest trends or uh, how the industry is progressing, I think that would be a mistake. So it is quite challenging to be honest to learn how to manage because I have not done it in the past, and I'm sort of becoming more of a leader over time. But I see it's gonna take a while to to get there. And I see this as an initial investment to maybe like leave design for a while and not be that involved, but over time bring it back uh, once I get more comfortable with leading a team and uh, handling all the stuff I'm um, required to, to do as, a, as that role. And that role. what are the, the questions that you get asked the most 
uh, and what are the challenges that your colleagues are facing and, and what do they um, come up to you with like, uh, hey, I need help in, in, in this segment of my work or uh, what are the most yeah, frequently asked ones? So right now I'm, we have a little uh, like adjustments that we made um, in our team, which is that uh, we as a team take responsibility for our output. It's not only me. Uh, that means that I might not be involved that much when reviewing other people's work. And we set up uh, design reviews that are happening weekly so other colleagues can discuss work uh, between each other. Uh, which essentially is, uh, you know, saving my time as well. It's not that I would not like to be involved, but I would like to bring everyone around together and work on it together, um, which I think would be more interested, more interesting than just me leading everything everywhere. There'll be a lot of micromanagement. But the questions we are often asked is always the same. It's it's UX patterns and uh, working with uh, like a specific case for an app or a website. And I think bringing more people in to discuss the idea as a group, it's better than just me leading a certain direction. And I like it because other people have different opinions, different takes, and in the end, it can like spice up the product or spice up the feature we are trying to do. And so I think, you have more minds working on, yes. on one thing, basically. Yes, which is something we have not done in the past. Um, previously, we were not that much involved, but right now I see it more and more. And collaboration is something people mention a lot in our team, and we are trying to get better at in in that topic specifically to help on you know these reviews or or uh, those those questions that are being asked over time. And and what kind of projects do you take on? I know if you're allowed to talk about this, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, all NDAs aside, mm-hmm. only talk about uh, what you're comfortable with and and what you can say publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Is it a lot of mobile apps? Is it a lot of web-based apps? Uh, what is it? What type? Because uh, in your feed, what I see are a lot of very nicely organized, pretty pictures with awesome visuals. Um, but I, I can't really believe that it's only that. I, I, I do think there is something in the background that you either cannot share or you will be sharing in the future. Uh, so I wonder what the work really is, what, what you guys put out. So it's in terms of mobile versus web, it's 50-50. It always oh. was. Uh, I think there are like, sometimes it's up and down. Sometimes there is more, um, you know, clients coming in with apps, sometimes uh, sometimes with web. So, But in like a regular terms, by default, it's 50-50. Um, I think that um, the way how I post stuff online or as we we post it uh, as a team. So for example, for the past few weeks or months, we have not been that active Mm -hmm. because obviously a lot of stuff is under NDA. Um, But I think it is important to keep yourself uh, active on those networks. So we are trying to um, get better at sharing work in progress or stuff that has not been published or launched. We actually have a special line in our contracts with clients where when the project is finished, it can be shared automatically. It can be released. Wow. And also, and also during the time that it's being developed, if we consult it with client, we can maybe share a certain part of it. So that's something new. We have not talked about that much in the past as well, but it is in there. And we had a 
quite an interesting meeting at the beginning of the last year where we looked over all the clients we worked on. And we have a huge list of stuff we have finished, but nothing has been published just yet. So I think in the upcoming weeks, months, we're gonna put it all out, out there. And for me specifically, it's kind of different because I only had a, one client uh, for over, over like a long period of time. And it's gonna take another year or even more to get it published because it's quite big and uh, it's like a special... Have to create the case studies and, and stuff like and that. And it's like a special NDA even, uh, oh. so that's going to be a little different. But essentially, the way how I want to lead the team is how I grew up as a designer. I was always interested in sharing what I work on to show other people to to get better over time. And this is what I want to have in a team as well, to have more people doing the same stuff, um, which means not only doing great work, but also be able to talk about it and share it as much as you can. I think uh, one of the reason for your success is, is uh, your way of documentation. You pay really, uh, uh, you pay great attention to how you put out work, how you present it, and also the fact that you have to put it out uh, for people to see it. Um, can you share your best practices and, and just the mindset that you put yourself in? In, in terms of sharing, because uh, what I see is that there really are a lot of great people, a lot of very good designers, and, and no one shares their work in in the way they should be. It's uh, resting in, in their hard drive somewhere, <laughs> and yeah. and it's not put, put, put out there. So I have made documenting my process <clears throat> almost like an essential part of what I do. And was, I think that's one of the crucial things. Yes, and it happened like years back, even before I had any Instagram dribble whatsoever, any, any platform, because I just liked showing other people what I do. And it, it was even when I was designing something, uh, I was already thinking about how I would describe it to someone or if I need to convince someone it is a good idea, how I would do it, if I would create you know, previews, I would write it down, whatever will be the format. So this is what happened in the beginning of my career. I was constantly thinking about it in my head when I was creating anything. And then I kind of adjusted the, my approach over time where I would not only think about how I do it, but I was doing it on the go. So when I was um, designing something, I was already taking pictures on the go. And I was saving it somewhere else. And when the right time came, I just published it all wow. at once. And it's... So you basically work the documentation process within the, the yes, kind it's, of work. Yes, it's an essential part of everything I do right now. And it isn't about, um, some people may say it's distracting, but I do it in a way so it's, you know, almost feels like a part of the job itself. But it should be. I mean, it is. And that's the, the nice thing about it is that you've made it work. Yes. And I also see how it works right now when I'm in the leadership role because I was basically training myself over years to be able to describe and like lead a conversation about those topics or these designs. So now when I'm uh, discussing something important with like a big board of people or bigger teams, I'm not like stressed out that I'll say something wrong or I'm not sure about how I would say something. I'm just so trained into this case, so it comes natural to me. And this, to be honest, in, in some like sales calls I had when discussing, you know, concepts we made or proposals for clients, this is where it paid off really well because I knew exactly what to say, how to show it and how to, like how to present it how to present it in a way yes wow and and when i'm doing the same for instagram it's just the same like methodology but using it for like a public so when i take a look at my profile i see um it from the point of view like did i describe it well so people understand what i'm doing or does it show exactly what i want to show and 
as you can see on the numbers, it obviously pays off over time. It took it a does. while uh, to, to you know, get more numbers and more people. But again, I take it as a, as a first step. You know, right now I'm trying to explore whether Instagram is even the right platform for this. If it's better maybe to have YouTube and talk about those stuff on, in videos. Oh, you started got... uh, doing videos, uh, case study videos? Yes. And also tutorials. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I, I have a secret that I have to tell you. <laughs> um, so the first video you've put out, uh, I, I think it's around three years old or, or even more, where you shared your uh, sketch uh, best practices on naming artboards. I've stole that from you <laughs> and I've been using it and implementing it for, for the past years, really. And a lot of teams have adopted it. So uh, we are also using it, like the three-digit things. <laughs> That's perfect, and uh, and it's been working great. So thank um, you. So yeah, like you, using YouTube as a platform. I I mean, this is uh, also what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to release it there and also other places where it's only audio, uh, but to see what the reaction will be from the audience and what they will pick up on and and what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. What are your uh, I don't know future goals or experiments that you want to do? Well, maybe you can talk about the why I decided for YouTube because that's where the shift is kind of happening right now. Uh, I have discovered that Instagram and just posting single posts or series of posts isn't really the way how I want to talk about my work because it's quite limiting for me. And I saw... You, you write really nice captions and uh, many of them are quite long, so people yes. really have to read through. Uh, but as you say, it's it's still limiting for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you are competing against, you know, kittens and you yeah. know, cats and, and memes, all of that stuff. So people are looking for maybe a different content on Instagram compared to what I want to talk about. I see. So I saw YouTube as a platform where I can go deep into what I'm doing and describe those things even more in detail. And essentially the, the goal over time is to have it as a portfolio. I want to use those videos to show my know-how and skills mm-hmm. and maybe have clients who would, instead of browsing my article or case study, they will play a video and understand how I work, how I, for example, did you know Apple TV for Tinder or how I work for Boosted. So describe my process in there and also show all the work examples where I wanted to do the same on Instagram, but didn't work out at all. Um, because of the algorithm and people not having that much of a time to browse browse these these shots, compared to YouTube where people come for education and to learn something new. So I wanted to reposition the content in a different platform and use it in a way so it makes sense for me more. And how would you compare Behance uh, with these? Behance is something I've done for a while as well. Uh, I have like plenty of projects in there, but on Behance I see it an issue with quality um, and quantity in the same time where you have people who have awesome case studies, but they're just getting lost in the volume of stuff that's oh. been posted in there. And that was an issue on my own as well, where I would spend months doing a project and it will just, you know, get lost in like the, the amount of work that being, it's being published every day. And I still plan to use it. I think it's a great, great platform to do more um, detailed stuff compared to, you know, triple Instagram. But it's just so many people doing the same thing that you're going to get lost. And you have to build an audience that's going to be um, interested in new stuff. And I see, when I take a look at, for example, take a look at um, other designers who are maybe more known than me and have more work in there, they have the same issue. Like in terms of numbers, they're getting the same 
numbers as someone who is new and have just two projects, but maybe they're special about something and you will get attention. But that was my issue with Behance that I just got lost. And I saw that if I would invest more time, it's not going to be paying off uh, mm -hmm. in any way. I was not getting any messages or you know requests through Behance anymore. But do you think it's uh, good or better for, for people who don't have a website? So maybe just to use it as a, a publishing platform, as, as a place to put out their work? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a great idea. And I, I used it the same way for many, many years. I only had Behance as my main portfolio. And the, the, the trick is that you are limited. You know, when you're designing portfolio, people just go uh, nuts and they design crazy stuff. Compared to on Behance, you have... Some limitation in terms of you know the width of the page and the components you can use and the way how to use uh, the platform itself, and I saw that as a as a benefit that I don't need to overthink it and I just stick with those basic rules and do what I can. I mean, uh, Behance used to have this uh, background frame oh, yeah, man, that's and, us. <laughs> and stuff in the center, and I also have a project that is based on that, and it is still showing kind of okay but they've since then moved to i have spent hours and hours just to line it those, yeah it wasn't a very good system but now <laughs> they have it cleaned up i think uh, and and you also have your own website that i think you built in webflow is that correct right now it's ready mac but i'll be switching it's it to webflow yes why i also use ready mac for my own i, I just don't have uh, all the projects published that I, I want to have, but I will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not as good in documentation as you are, but but I'm striving for it. Um, why? I mean, if you can talk uh, about ReadyMag just for uh, a short while mm -hmm. and explain why you want to switch to Webflow and what, what do you think uh, the platform give, gives you in terms of features, in terms of publicity, anything? Mm -hmm. So ReadyMag... I think it's a great tool, by the way. Yeah, I, I built a, a, a website for a client there. I <laughs> mean, it's good. one of my recent things. It's obviously just a brochure site, so it's not really complex or anything. What I like about it is the freedom because you can, it's like a, almost like Sketch or any like You software. have baselines. You yes. have baselines. You don't have baselines anywhere else other uh, than in design. So I think that's great. I think it was all the freedom I had mm -hmm. to really create anything I wanted. But that was also its biggest issue because mm -hmm. over time I have realized it is quite hard to do anything manually. Mm -hmm. It's like a blank canvas and you can readjust all the stuff, layout, whatever components. So I have made a couple of websites in there. I had my personal website. I had uh, you know some stuff for STRV as well in there. And I think it's a great tool. Um, but what made me switch to Webflow is it is more like a web development tool compared to ReadyMag being like a publishing platform. Hmm. Um, so with Webflow, I think it still has quite a lot of freedom, um, but it feels more like a tool for building an actual website where you have all those um, you know responsive website elements and you can customize uh, almost like the the code side of things without writing a code, which is which is amazing and. I feel like it is better for building more sophisticated websites where on ReadyMac you cannot really do subpages uh, in case, like you can if you hack it, but it's not meant to be a tool for building more sophisticated websites, which is something I was looking for when I was trying to do another version of my portfolio. I wanted to have more web, more uh, subpages, different components, and, and uh, the responsive side of things a little bit more polished. And Webflow offered me that option uh, where since I have some coding skills and background, um, I was it was easy for me to 
learn the basics and then just keep practicing until I felt like this is the tool I want to use. I will still keep using both, I think, but I will always choose, um, I will maybe think twice about which one to choose for, for which project. When I want to do something super simple, where I just, for example, want to have one page about one topic, I will go with ReadyMac compared to more sophisticated website with more um, sub-pages or e-commerce, uh, I will probably go for uh, Webflow. And what I also look uh, forward to with Webflow is they have a big community and resources so you can share and 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 uh, duplicate a lot of stuff and, and use templates that they have uh, free, like available for free for anyone. Okay. And do you think, uh, sorry, can we maybe... Uh pause just for two minutes. I really want to check whether the audio is working correctly. Let's do it. Uh, and, and then we can continue. And we can continue. Thanks for the quick break. So do you think that coding skills are essential for you if uh, if you're thinking about moving into Webflow? I would not say essential, but you at least have to know the theory of how websites are being built. Because in Webflow, you are not like moving objects on a canvas, let's say, compared to ReadyMac. But you have to understand how, um, you know, the basics of web layout works and, and how to uh, work with diffs and, and, you know, components and how to actually put them on a layout uh, to build a whole website. So this is something I knew from the past because I, I was coding for a while. And now it's... HTML and CSS yes, or other only, things as well? Only oh. these, yeah, HTML okay. and CSS. And, only this helped me to understand the basics, and now I'm able to do what I want, pretty much. And um, does this skill set help you in terms of um, handover what, what, when you kind of talk with developers a lot, maybe? I would say it does, because in a sense, you can design a website so it's easily, uh, you can then transform it into code easily. Just to keep it in mind when you are designing, I think it could be a benefit for, for sure. Do you see differences uh, in, in people when they don't really have a coding background or, or they do not really know HTML, CSS, and design something that you know will not be easy to do in, in code or or that's not really a matter? I would say it's they not know that the big of an issue. Because they know the patterns and the basics. Yeah, I think it's not that big of an issue. But when it comes to some special effects, um, I think that's more of an issue in terms of uh, mobile apps where... Um, I think web is pretty fine, but on, on mobile, like some interactions or animations, they could be hard to make. So if you have a designer who will create awesome animation in After Effects and then want developer to build it, that's where you know the issue can be. But uh, so now you're talking about transitions, but in mm -hmm. terms of the layout itself, like uh, I don't think placing so. a footer, placing a header, the placement and size of the buttons maybe, yeah. so th those are not, not an no, issue. No, I, I don't think so. It's, it should be fine because... The way how designers think about building a layout, it's similar to how developers do it. But in some cases where there's more advanced stuff required, that's where you know this is like a bonus skill to have. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and, and it's cool that you have it. I didn't know that you you were coding for a while. <laughs> it was like early beginnings of my career. It's actually when I decided to switch to design because I uh, got lost in code. I see. It wasn't really the passion I wanted to have. <laughs> And can you talk j just a little bit about how you share feedback with each other when you have these design reviews mm -hmm. and, and how many people can chime in into one conversation and yep. then lead the design process from there? 
So right now it's like an experimental stage where we usually have one day set up for reviews. One full day? Uh, no, like one meeting. One, one meeting day, and yes. within a day. Um, oh, I And see. it's usually sorted out in a way where designer who wants to present something to the whole team will book a spot on this meeting. They will come in, um, you know, open up what they want to talk about and the whole team gathers and we'll like do a critique of that work, let's say. Um, we usually book it one week up front so the person gets uh, prepared. Um, they can, uh, you know, finish what they have to and then like polish some sort of a presentation or the topic itself they want to talk about. And then the whole team uh, comes over, actually in this room most of the time, where... All uh, of Justice. All of justice, justice, that's the name. Um, <laughs> so funny. And we will open up the work and the designer will kind of present what they're working on, like mention what they want to help with or if there are some issues they want to solve. And then the whole team kind of participates in a discussion where we're trying to solve those issues, maybe point out what we would change, what, we, what can be improved. And this whole thing is like a feedback session. Uh, we call it, I think, show and tell. And then uh, the designer who presented can take all of this feedback and incorporate it into design, or maybe we'll give uh, the designer some arguments for the client call so they can talk about the work more. And it's, as I say, just experimental. We are like testing out different approaches, but the goal is to be more collaborative over time and, and have more people participating on a project, even when it's just sharing some ideas and, and feedback, which can push the you know other designer uh, to you know better output. And um, what I'm curious about is within the, when you review work, how much of it is, is just subjective, like stylistic uh, feedback and how much is it uh, like interaction, navigation, how you deal with uh, UX patterns, for example? It's a mixture of everything at once because we have people in a team who are more visually driven. We have people who are more UX driven and when all of them sit in the same room, they have different points. So one of them will point out, you know, we can maybe ch change this icon because it doesn't fit well. Another person will say, you know, maybe you can actually move this icon over to the left corner because it makes more sense in terms of UX. And all those things are happening on the same meeting and people cannot get the context behind those decisions. And then we can collectively shape the way how the product is going to evolve over time and how it's going to be designed. And uh, do you think that UX can be separated from UI or, or do you think that those two are really a merged uh, kind of uh, processor or skill, actually. So right now... Do you know anyone who, who knows UX very good? I mean, also the research part and, and building the wireframes and, and knowing the patterns and have no knowledge in UI. Uh, do you see that they come with a different mindset? Right now, it is set up in a way where we consider every member of our team being a product designer where they take both UI and UX on the same level. It's like, a, you know, merging those two together, knowing 50% of that topic, 50% of the other one. And that's what kind of forms the product designer so they can think both visually and also, um, you know, in terms of UX. But we also had cases where we would have a colleague who was only focused on UX at a time. That was his main uh, part. But, you know, the types of projects or clients coming into our company, they were not really interested in, you know, pure UX work at all. They always wanted to build the whole thing. And this is what we try to hire for, to have someone who can cover both in the same time. Um, but it is, it's not like, um, it's not like special, it's not like a specialty they would have. You know, we're trying to have people who are 
um, who can cover both cases. And this is what clients usually look forward to uh, and they're expecting um, compared to having just UI designer and UX designer make them work together somehow. That will be too much of a you know communication involved and management. So the way it is set up in a team is that the designer who is usually assigned to a project can handle the whole thing on their own and there is no one else helping them in, the, in case they don't want to. Um, however, there might be someone in a team who is, um, you know, specialized in visuals more. So we are trying to assign him projects that are more towards what he wants to do. And this is how we want to make sure that people work on stuff they want to work on and they're happy about, happy about it. And also adjust the way how we assign those projects or how we close them even to have people working on the stuff they want to, which is goal, you know, to have happiness in, in the team. Sure. That's cool. Oh, there are people here. That's great. I mean... <laughs> This is new for me. I'm seeing people uh, in the office on on Sundays, that's uh, unusual for for our place. Uh, as you said, you have like a, an open hours policy. Uh, you can come in and go whenever you want yeah. to. You also have home office days, uh, which we don't. So yeah, this is new for me, and and it looks great. Yeah, it is. People are not not stressed out. They're happy to come in just for a few hours. That's cool. And how long does a project usually take for you guys? I mean. Uh, you've said that you've been involved uh, in in a very kind of long mm-hmm. um, thing, but are there others that are just three months long or even shorter than that? That's about a standard, you know, two months, three months. That's like a like an average we have. Wow, that's quite a fast pace of working. Yes, and it's it's um it's due to the type of work. It's mostly startups who are starting from scratch, and you can really do MVP in uh, you know two two months of design work. Uh, the development takes longer, obviously, but designers like two months, it's about an average, I would say. Then we have also cases where it's shorter, where client only wants to make, you know, selected, you know, screens, pages and, and style guide and want to finish it on their own, and just develop it. So the they have their own design team? Could uh, be, yes, could be. also a case. Then we also have long-term projects. And this is where we have ongoing partnerships with companies who stay with us for years almost. And we have someone assigned constantly to you know, service that client over time. I see. It's like a mixture of different engagements and also the way how we offer our services. They are tied specifically for those, um, I don't know exactly how we call it now, but there are different types of engagements we are offering as a service and clients can pick what they want uh, based on what they're looking for. Uh, has it been uh, in any of the cases that you've helped out in in the sales part of the work uh, that you've been brought on a call just to have like a a designer sitting there and explaining what's going to be done or or how the engagement is going to be continued? That's pretty much my job. Okay. Or it it used to be more uh, previously. Now it's a little little different, but that was what I actually enjoyed as well uh, Mm -hmm. because... This not only includes uh, having designer on a call, but also working on a lot of proposals and concepts to, you know, open doors for new new opportunities. And this is what I enjoy the most. I like this conceptual thinking of developing something from scratch and impress someone in a way they want to work with us. That's what I enjoy a lot. And then on calls, it's mostly describing or talking about our process in general, which over time um, I've mastered in a way so I know exactly what to say. And I, it's almost like a script uh, because oh. <laughs> those people are asking the same stuff, mm-hmm. asking for the same stuff. And 
and I know what to highlight to make them feel comfortable mm-hmm. and then assure them we are the right partner to, to work with us. Um, you have a complete recipe. <laughs> almost, but there were like many failures I had when I underestimated the process mm. or underestimated the client um, or someone, you know, came in and I wasn't aware. Or, you know, this little small mistake I made along the way. But now I am able to uh, talk about the team and talk about the process in a way so I feel comfortable. And this in the end is the most important, I think, because this is bringing uh, deals for the company, essentially. You're quite an essential part of the whole <laughs> operation, I think. Yes, and if you, I was joking that you know my name is Alice, and mm-hmm. if you put S in there, it's it's reads as sales. Ah, <laughs> little joke. That's good. Uh, how do you pronounce your name correctly? It's is it Alish Neshetril? Yes, Alish Neshetril. It's oh. like a specialty in Czech language. We have these weird, you know. And and things. why do you have those things? Because there are a lot of special accent characters in other languages as well. I mean, we have stuff in Hungarian. There is stuff in Romanian. Uh, is it so? What's the difference in, in pronunciation? Like a regular S and an Esh? S and Esh. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a specialty we have in our language, and yeah, it's really hard to describe. And it takes like years to learn. Okay. When you're a little kid, you have to learn these S, R, J, all these letters. So you have and different grammar for, yes, yes, for each it's, case. It's, um, I don't know how it's called in Czech even. <laughs> I don't remember it from school. But um, these letters are part of our alphabet mm-hmm. and they have special meaning when you say them almost, if I get it right. <laughs> okay. So, so they have a different meaning if you use them in certain cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you did did you do any jobs for the local market? I'm I'm asking because uh, I, I want to ask a few things about typography and and whether you're looking for localized typesets that also support your language. Uh, have you found any problems or, or maybe do you have any insights? In in the past, I did. I worked for plenty of Czech clients. Uh, in the past, that's true. Um, but I think Google fonts mostly covered those cases and so, I was specifically because when you're like, testing out the typography and you know, the content you immediately notice this is something right or wrong so yeah. Google fonts are mostly safe for this and okay sometimes when you see it uh, you know when someone does it wrong and they even print it out it's horrible I haven't seen any Colibri or any Comic Sans in yeah. the office this is totally fine, but if you walk through, like, you know, across Prague, you'll see maybe some cases, even using the wrong you know, letters and stuff. I see, I see. Well, yeah, good use of typography is always, it's always nice when you <laughs> see it. Uh, don't you find that sometimes the Google Fonts library is is limiting in terms of style if you want to do, for like, a special thing for, I don't know, boosted boards maybe? It is, that's true. And that's why I usually reach out to fo- reach out for other sources. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that not all of them are optimized for mobile. Sometimes um, for mobile or for web. For mobile, mm-hmm. um, because what is the difference? I don't know because it's W O F F. I mean, in, in the extension term. Mm, I don't know exactly, but I think Typekit doesn't okay. support um, mobile. So this is what you have to be aware because we had cases in the past where we chose something from Typekit and it didn't work out for the for the app. So when using some special font or something which is unusual, we also have a like alternative backup, which is similar uh, that we can eventually use if the, the main one doesn't uh, fit in. Um, but I think looking for custom fonts is 
almost like an easy like a only way to spice up a mobile app you know it's it's quite limiting as you said to use google fonts or some defaults and when you have something special in there it just you know the look and feel is different way different and since mobile apps are kind of standardized in terms of components and the styling this is the only way where you can go crazy and you know combine it with some different style and make something unique has it been a case that you've been able to convince a client for uh, purchasing a font or a font license yes yes it's it's um Sometimes quite a challenge because they don't understand why is it so expensive. So that's why we always include alternative, which is mostly free. But this is the cool version, and this is the this is pretty much what cheaper. I say on a call exactly. Um, and there there are cases where they understood we really want to do something special. We want to do it right. We feel like this is part of our branding. This is something unique. We want people to feel. Let's invest into it. It's totally fine. And then we had cases where like. Why would you pay for a font? Like, is it free on an internet? Like, why would you? So there's like two. Those different... are letters. Yes, we're using letters, and they are not aware. And mm. sometimes we even manage to convince them. Hey, maybe if you invest more, the app is gonna have a different look and feel, and people will understand why you do it. Are gonna engage more with, mm-hmm. with the brand itself. And and uh, in, in terms of boosted boards, how how much can you share? Is it already I done think it's and ready? Out there already. Oh. Yeah. Um, so on boosted boards, I was part of um, the initial stage of the project, even before we worked together officially. So I was um, working closely with the boosted team to define the product we will be building later. So I was part of the beginning. And then once we agreed on a, uh, on a cooperation, on a partnership, uh, my colleague was taking over the whole project and we were working on new iOS and Android apps. Um, so we essentially redesigned both of them uh, coming with also a new series of boards. As far as I remember, the timing was about the same. And then we have uh, like ongoing partnership in terms of development. So at this moment, I'm not sure what we are doing together in terms of design, um, but the development is kind of ongoing thing and we're helping them to build uh, those products. So it's also maintenance. Yes, maintenance. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to do something else together as well. You know, Boosted is one of the companies where it's IoT, it's it's an uh, interesting topic and people like working on it. And the team is also really open to new ideas and the way how the product can be shifted. So this is something I would uh, enjoy working uh, more as well. And I think our team would as well. So hope there's something new coming in. Do you own a boost board? Uh, we have a few in the office for testing purposes. <laughs> for testing. Do you bring them out? Uh, yes, people actually borrow them for weekend if they want to go somewhere. Those are great and I think dangerous as well. <laughs> yes. And you also have a skating background, or, or do you skate now, currently? Not that much as I used to, but I do have a lot of background. What are the, what are the tricks that, that you know? I was always the heel flip guy. I never... No kickflip. No, no, I had no idea how to do it flip. because I felt like I'm going to twist my angle. But if you do heel flip, it's like easier for me to do. Hmm. So this was one of the like tricks I was most proud to learn. And then since I am pretty, you know, short guy, mm-hmm. so I cannot do really, you know, jumping super huge steps, uh, stairs and, and stuff. So um, I usually did a lot of stuff on um, on a flat ground, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing uh, like a series of tricks um, and then recording it with friends. And uh, what I enjoy about skateboarding, it's the one thing that it taught me is that um, no matter how many times you bail and, you know, you're on the ground and, you know, hurt, um, there is always a way to step up again and do the trick again and try and try over. And this is what I applied into my career over time. And I think about it uh, like you know, 
retrospectively, which is no matter how many fails you do, we can still try and try, try again, again and maybe yes. succeed. In- and, and skateboarding is like one of the things that I enjoyed throughout my whole, um, you know, high school pretty much. This was like the, I was only doing design and I was only doing skateboarding. There was nothing else. And it's like every day skating, it was like the best times we had. How many boards have you broken? Not many actually, because, you know, short guy, I don't really do that many tricks from, uh, you know, big stairs. And also, uh, there's no chance for me to break a board if I am so you know, light on a board. I see. So I, I, see. I broke like two, three tops, not not many. That's okay. <laughs> um, can you, or, or do you want to talk about uh, your book on on Instagram actually? And, and how do you find that it, has it resonated with the audience? Yeah, I can mention it for sure. Can mention it. Um, since we started, in- I've also bought it. I just want to <laughs> put it put it out there that I've paid some money. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, since we started with Instagram, we can bring it uh, up right now. Um, I always wanted to write a book, like a real physical book, one day. A physical book. Okay. And this is digital only, right? This is digital only, and this was pretty much like the first step I wanted to do in that long-term mm-hmm. journey. I wanted to test out if I'm even capable of writing something mm-hmm. longer than an Long article. Form. And this started as I was writing a, like a series of articles. And then I noticed that there is much more I can say on that topic. And I was like playing around with an idea to have a physical book, but I was not really sure how to do it. And having an ebook looked like a, you know, a middle way, how to test it out, uh, test out the whole process, test the whole campaign and how that's going to run. And Instagram at the time was something I was uh, spending quite a lot of time on. This was like when I was starting to get um, you know, noticed in the mm-hmm. community and starting getting more and more followers. And I saw it as something I can maybe be known for, at least in you know Czech Republic, because I was not really um, aiming for the you know, global market at the time. So I wanted to write down all the stuff I have learned throughout the whole year, pretty much, and what got me into the position I was at at the point. And I wrote pretty much like a personal story almost, like how I got into it, why I'm doing it, and how to do it if you want to do it the same way I want. And in the end, it ended up being a 100 pages ebook where I, you know, sold a couple of copies, people um, like it. And for me, it meant like, you know, now I feel more comfortable in writing a real book one day. I tested out how the process works. Mm -hmm. I tested out how it feels when you're writing something in long term. I, I know how it feels when... Um, you know, the public is reacting to it. If if you are su- suddenly being known for a certain topic as a, like a leader or expert in that field. And it also meant for me to, um, you know, almost like a close a chapter of my life called Instagram, not really close it in a sense I will not continue it, but also kind of put what happened to me over those few months and years and put it into a written form and share it with everyone else. And it was like a... Interesting moment in my career when I noticed that this is maybe one of the goals I wanted to achieve and being really proud of myself for doing that. And then I only enjoyed everything that came afterwards, you know, more people coming in and more people wanted to talk about the topic. And in the end, I basically proved to myself I'm capable of doing this project on my own and it's going to open new doors for me in the future. But if I would do it differently and just aim for, you know, printed book right away, it would be probably more difficult than just doing this step, one step at a time and then snowball from that. And what do you want to write about in, in your upcoming book? 
So with Instagram, I have noticed one limitation, which is it only was relevant in a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram started to shift directions, you know, new platforms coming in, people using it in a different way. So the book was kind of relevant in a short period of time. Uh, and I wasn't, wasn't essentially planning to build on top of that to have maybe a version two or expand some ideas. Because as mentioned, I would probably try to focus on YouTube and other platforms as well. Um, so the next book I'm going to write, if, if I'm going to write it, it's going to be either about all the biggest mistakes I've made in my career because I want to open up about, you know, all the stuff looks nice, but there's also quite a lot of hard work in the background and I also failed a lot of stuff. So I want to talk about all those mistakes. That's like first idea I have. And the second one is, I don't have a title or um, an exact topic, but it will be, things I wish I learned when I started my career. So maybe focus more towards uh, people who are starting and talk about, again, my personal story of how I became from, you know, guy who was designing for fun in high school to then leading a team uh, in a big company and describe the whole journey, how I got in there and pinpoint some interesting stuff I think would be helpful helpful for other people. It would, so, it would be. Um, that sounds really good. I want to do it in a way where it doesn't sound like it's, a collection of buzzwords and know-how that can be available everywhere because you have plenty of medium articles, plenty of tutorials. I want to go in a different direction when I want to talk about, again, about my personal story and exact situations or occasions that happened to me and how I solved them because this is the way I think I can bring something new to the people and share like a real value where, on the other hand, some people right now might be writing articles that are just, um, you know, 10th opinion about certain topic, which is already out there. I want to look in a way where this is something I really been through. This is how I solved it. This is how I can learn from it. And I want to write it in a way so it's straightforward, the same way how the first book is written, and, you know, cut all the bullshit from it as much as I can. This is like the format I want to choose. And over years, I've noticed this is the way how I communicate. This is the way how I write. This is the way how I talk. And I want to have it in a book as well. So that's the, that's the plan. That that really sounds very good. And before I ask you about a few tips that you might share, like a sneak peek in, into your book, <laughs> uh, can you tell me about the writing process itself? Because uh, I've only written a few articles and those are not really long form. They're just kind of short. So what what is it like and, and what mindset do you have to be in to be able to continually work on something for a long period of time? So the thinking is similar to when I described this documenting during the process. Okay. So when I am going through a certain experience in my life, I am in my head, it's already like forming in a way how I would eventually like to describe it to someone else. And it's the same with writing. So if I have an idea, I will keep it in my head for a while. I will make some notes, you know, one word, a sentence, I'll write it down in a bullet point list. And then when the writing as a as a process on its own comes, I will just expand on those points and try to wrap it up into a story. Um, the thing I usually failed was that I wanted to sit down and two hours write something on a certain topic. It didn't really work that way because I've noticed that I'm constantly thinking about those ideas. I'm constantly thinking about topics. So even, you know, going to work, you know, in public transportation, you know, making notes, that's just going through my head and adding to that topic. 
And when I want to write something down, I'm just gonna sit down, go through all the notes and connect it in a way so it makes sense and make a story. And that's pretty much how I wrote all of my uh, articles in the past. And this is the way how I also write all my captions for Instagram. So I will make a photo and then when I'm traveling or you know doing something else, I'll think, keep it in my head, keep the image in my head or the topic and I will try to think about a way how to describe it to someone else or how to um, like expand that moment so it gets more context, con- context, context. Engagement, yeah. Engagement, yeah. Or, or, or um, and that's how I would probably write the next book as well. I would pick a certain topics that or experiences that happened throughout my career and I will try to constantly expand on them over time. And when it gets into a certain point where I have a lot of notes, I'll try to wrap it up into a chapter, let's say. Um, in a similar way, the perfect grid was also written. Um, I had an editor helping me to review some of the stuff, but um, the content part was written uh, by me. And it was, I basically went through how I post a shot on Instagram or, or, or photo Instagram, what is involved in that process. And that kind of defines all the chapters in a book and also provides context of why I'm doing those decisions or what is my general thinking about it. And I'm not sure how other people write books because I have no experience with it as, as well uh, at all. Um, but I'm trying to do it in a way so it feels natural to me, like doing it my way. I like forget about all the rules or how it's supposed to be done. I just do it my way, how it feels natural to me. And this is kind of the, the ideal ideology I'm trying to do in a team as well or for myself, like doing things my way. Because everyone thinks um, you need to keep certain rules uh, and stuff like that, which is quite limiting for me. And I found that writing is something where I can expand and like feel free to do whatever I want, to describe it the way I want. And in the end, it looks like people like it. It's like the way of communication that is special for me or specific. And you can see it on those captions on posts or in a book or articles. And uh, if you would be willing to share just a few tips for... I know designers starting up, what, what do you think the the inevitable failures are? What do you think that you ha- really have to get past in order to be able to continue doing design? Uh, I was thinking about it because when I tried to put together, you know, at least um, like a draft of chapters, I would eventually talk about in the book if I would uh, like to write it down. And I was looking at the first beginnings when I had, uh, I had in, in my career how I signed up for my first job when I was um, you know, designing first projects or dealing in a, like working in a team for the first time. And I look at what I did differently that maybe helped me to step out or make the process faster. And I remember a moment where I was going for one of my very first interviews in, in a local company. And I walked in and I had no experience ever. The only thing I knew was to how to edit photos in Photoshop. And this is, I was signing up for like a junior designer, junior web designer at the time. And I walked in and I remember saying, I have no idea how I how to do it, how to design websites, but I just enjoy the process of learning it so much. So I'm willing to take this job or yeah. uh, something in that sense. You know, I basically said, I have no <laughs> idea how to do it, but I want to learn it so bad. So I will do anything for it. You were very transparent. Yes. And I remember it uh, to this very first day that I said something in that sense to you know the guy who was interviewing me, who later on ended up being my mentor for many, many years. And 
if I look at it from, you know, perspective now, it's what it did, it showed the ambition I had or ambition to learn and become better no matter what. Mm -hmm. And this is what I am looking for when I am looking for new designers for our team as well right now. I'm looking for the ambition and for what they want to achieve in life, in a career. So not necessarily the skill, Because the skills skill. can be taught um, shortly. We had cases in our team when someone new came in and over three months we learned him, we taught him everything we, he had to uh, learn. So skills aren't that important if you have the right mindset. That is something I've learned when leading a team, when starting my career. And I look at skills as something that is a reflection of that. Um, so I may be scanning through a list of people and going through their portfolios, look at what they do. But when I invite them over and talk about their work, I'm looking for ambition. I'm looking for someone who is trying to bring something over to the team to uh, use that as a platform, as an opportunity to become better. And this is the environment I would like to build in, in our team as well. And this would probably be one of the first chapters chapters I would write um, because I think it kind of speaks for my career's career as a whole. I always had ambition and any time I was signing up for a different job or doing some new project, whatever, it was always this ambition to do something differently, do something better, bigger, whatever, and not look at how it's supposed to be done, just doing it my way. And I would like to have more like-minded people in our team or on my Instagram as well to talk about them, exchange ideas. That's the plan. That all sounds really nice and, and I hope it will be working out for you. I, I think it, it already is, so that's great. Uh, do you want to talk about a few side projects that you've done? One of the, uh, I, I guess the latest one you have is the AR thing mm -hmm. and, and a few other ones that you think were important, uh, for you to pause on the other work that y you do or just to have a, like a, a mental freshening up. We can maybe talk about the way how I approach side projects in general, because I think it's a little specific to be honest, because when I look at side projects, I have, you know, three criteria that I'm usually looking to. Um, the first one being, I want to learn something new Yes. where, you know, the skate AR comes at hand, where I wanted to learn how to design for this technology. So I came up with a new concept where I can test it out and learn for the future. Then I have a second case where I'm aiming for getting a lot of attention. So I would design something or create something that would uh, catch attention online. So that's relevant for the time or mm -hmm. relevant for you know, the trend, whatever. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, and it will bring attention to my portfolio, to my profile, so I can use that attention to get new deals or make new connections. And the third one is um, you know, client-specific. So I want to create a side project that we can eventually use in our company or I can use it to get a client or... Um, get some conversation going somewhere. So this is what I did, for example, for TSM, the, the eSports website, where TSM uh, is one of my favorite uh, eSports team and eSports as a whole or gaming is a topic I enjoy. And I wanted to approach them with a specific uh, product that they can eventually use or we can you know, talk about some um, uh, partnership together. So I usually, when I'm doing side project, I try to pick at least one of these uh, options or one of these goals I want to do. And then it provides me a little bit more context for what I'm doing. Because when I would just do a side project for the sake of it, I would probably ended up not finishing it at all. Or I would not be sure why I'm doing it in the first place. It would, like the motivation would, would not be that clear compared to 
in these three cases, I have a certain goal I want to reach and I'm going to do um, as much as I can to, to reach it. Um, and there are cases where it paid off. There are cases where it didn't. Um, mostly it failed that I had too big of an ambition sometimes. Um, I wanted to approach clients who were too big or not really open for um, collaboration. And also with uh, learning something new, I um, maybe explored topics or or technologies that were um, important for me uh, in long term. But um, there was a lesson I learned um, over time because I've done plenty of those side projects to be really precise in what I want to do because if it doesn't work out, I'm going to burn a lot of time I could I could use otherwise on some other side project or some other sort of stuff. Um, there's also important to mention that people sometimes... Um, overestimate side projects and they will do too many, too many of them mm. in a sense where if you have five side projects and let's say a full-time job isn't the side project your main project right you're kind of getting lost in doing too many things at the same time or not being sure what to do um, in general so this is something I have struggled as well and I'm trying to right now do at least one or two things at a time and skip the rest because it is you know, you cannot really manage too many things. Counting with your full-time job as well, like yes. one or two things counting mm-hmm. with the job you have currently. Because if you do too many side projects, like you kind of suffer in terms of the main project being the full-time employment or working for one startup at a time when you're freelancing. So sometimes people jump into side project and do like five, ten minutes at a time and, it, you know, the quality can go down over time. So this is something I have learned as well. Obviously failed. Uh, I have not even published those things in the past. Um, and what I like about it, it made me think about side projects in a certain way and also value the full-time job I have and kind of find a balance between both. Uh, so I feel comfortable doing both at the same time. So the full-time job doesn't suffer and I also can do something new on a side. So... Uh you also separate the notion of a side project and a personal project. So not all side projects are personal. Sometimes it could be clients as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That That's true. That's true, actually. I never thought about this that way, but that's true. Because I have side projects that are under STRE, and I have side projects for my own as well. I see. So there is a difference. But it's not that big of a issue or topic. What I'm always doing for the company is going to stay with the company. What I'm doing for myself only, it's mostly something that is not related to um, UI design, let's say. It can be a side project where I want to you know, paint a painting and then do exhibition or whatever. So just something that is not related to my job because I will be only doing web and mobile all the time. I'll be limiting myself. Um, so my plan for side projects, for example, in the future and long term is to do as many variations as I can, you know, do a painting, uh, you know, exhibition, do clothing, I don't know, all those creative topics and then pick one thing uh, at that particular topic and do it right as a side project. That will be like a personal side project compared to side projects at an agency where I can do these client-facing concepts or do something that will bring a lot of attention to the company in general. So those types. And and that knowledge that you gain through the side project, you can also bring it in here and, and share it. So it obviously uh, does good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I can even do it in my uh, you know work time. 
if mm. I want to, because wow, if I amazing. take care of the whole team and I am free and there's nothing else required from me, I can spend this time on on those side that projects. That sounds really great. I'm I'm hoping to be able to get that type of freedom in in my life too. Yeah, and um, as you mentioned, clothing or or as a potential future personal project of yours, uh, do you imagine a brand, a personal brand, or what do you imagine it to be like? Mm. Could you be. like black stuff, right? I like black stuff. Black on black. <laughs> black print. on black on black. <laughs> no, I think... You also have nice shoes on there. You too, by the way. You have Thank some, you. You have, what is it, like astronaut edition? No, 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 it's... Uh, space edition? It's uh, the Air, Air Force One um, special field uh-huh. uh, mid. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, and, and the white, white and military... Uh, Green version this looks like soul. a space shoes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with clothing, I mean, I would like to do my own merchandise for my own personal brand, but I think it is too soon right now. Okay. Um, would it be print on everything or would it be <laughs> black on black? Print I don't know with? exactly what's going to happen, but I would like to do it uh, at a point where I see myself as an athlete, let's say, and athletes do, you know, shoes, uh, okay. sneakers, whatever. Yep. And I think you as a creative person, if you get a lot of attention and you build your brand in a certain level, you can be seen in the same way, like a leader of the community or influencer. Public figure. Yeah, public figure, let's say. So if I would do well, I will do you know great projects over the next five years and I will uh, be known for uh, my skills and know-how. I think building something like this as a personal brand is nice. You often see it with YouTubers, right? MKBHD also has own merch. So this is what I um, would imagine having as well at a point. But right now it's, I think, too soon. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to do it right now, but it would not um, reach too many people. Mm-hmm. It will be like a small group, um, friends and family. So and you want to reach beyond, obviously. I want to do it in scale. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm focusing on doing a merch for the company because you'll be doing some stuff um, at the company. Is it hoodies, T-shirts, caps? I just think. Anything. Yeah. A whole store of stuff. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully. But it's going to be stuff that you'd also like to wear. So yes. not. And it isn't like something we would keep private. Like it's it's well known that we uh, already have merch right now. So offering it for the public uh, is like a small step. And it's it's like a, a nice onboarding present for people <laughs> that are joining the company, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what you want to do. And for my personal stuff, I'm looking forward to do it in like five years, maybe. Okay. Let's say... It's going to be interesting how my brand or what I do is going to grow over years. But once it reaches a certain point, I would try to do something just to try it out. I don't have any like big plans to, you know, make a lot of money or, mm-hmm. you know, be well known because of that. But just like a fun project to do because obviously I can play around with it. And as I said, if I take it um, as seeing myself as an influencer or athlete or public figure, um, just doing this for fun would be, you know, something I want to do and I can check this box of, <laughs> of goals in, in, in your life. And uh, do you, are you thinking of a name for it or would it be based off of your name? I was thinking about whether I should start something like a company where it would be just people sharing the same idea and calling it a brand, like a mm-hmm. creative collaborative, let's say. It will become a religion very soon. No, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Um, but I'm not sure how it works. Um, so for now, the plan is to 
keep just my personal brand. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, uh, you know, if I decide otherwise, that's, um, you know, not sure exactly how it's going to happen. But it'll be cool to maybe have like same ideology in terms of designing apps and then people who um, see the same way could buy some same clothes. I don't know. Uh, it's like it's super broad, but uh, what I want to enjoy about it is the process of making the t-shirt or the hoodie. So I don't really care about what is it ended up being, whether it's my logo or someone else's, but just feeling that I have my own merch or brand uh, I can, you know, wear or, or sell to other people or I can work on it together. That would be, uh, that would be the goal to test it out. Same approach with the ebook, right? I started mm-hmm. with small piece, want to small do the pr- print one one day. So if I do my personal custom t-shirt one day and in five years I'm going to do like a brand that's going to be worldwide, maybe. <laughs> Those are very, very nice plans, I think. I mean, uh, kudos for r- reaching uh, to this point and, and how would you say, uh, like cheer on for, for the rest of the stuff, really. Um, is there anything that you'd like to discuss and, and anything that you'd like to share maybe? Uh, do you have any topics in mind? Hmm. Maybe I could talk about your show, like what is your plan with it? I'm not sure if you mentioned it in the previous episodes. Um, well, just very briefly, so we can talk about it for, for uh, a short while. So I w- will call it off brief because uh, that's the domain I've been able to acquire and the concept the conceptual part behind it is that uh, I've been working in in uh, different agencies, um, and the first being Possible. It's also uh, a big network. Uh, now being Saatchi, uh, but I now am not involved in any advertising, but I was in the past. And obviously, sometimes the feedback that you get that the idea that you've developed is is off brief, uh, which I think. Uh, could be applied in some cases and was not really a valid comment in other cases. Whenever you present an idea that is brave, obviously it's not going to go through the first attempt or or it's not going to be well received in that sense. Uh, So I, I, although I I really like brave ideas and I really like to bring something very conceptual to a client and try to explain the whole uh, process of coming up with that concept. And I think it elevates the quality of the work. Uh, so that is kind of the, the thought process and, and, the, and the brand itself. Um, so I wanted to make it be about, oh, sorry, to, to be about the community. First, the, the local community that we have in, in Hungary or Budapest uh, with designers and creative people uh, overall. So first, I, I think uh, with the guests that I'm preparing to reach out to uh, will be mainly within this group. Uh, and later on, it might circle into something else. Uh, but for now, uh, yeah, I, I still have to get myself a studio space where I can leave this equipment and, and not travel with it every time that I want to do an episode. That would be very cool. Um, and... I want it to be about the people. That's why I'm asking so many questions. Um, I, I want it to be a platform where I can highlight the people I think should have a voice. Uh, you already have a voice, that's, that's an exception. But there are a lot of people uh, 
who are not so good in documentation maybe are are a lot shy a lot more shy than than people who showcase their stuff um and i also want to have a continuous um conversation going on within within the community so that's kind of the goal i don't know how much of it can i actually reach i don't know how people will um receive it uh, so still something that i'm curious of of launching and, and releasing and, and publishing and it uh it will happen very soon and i've been kind of uh preparing for this whole thing and for the past i don't know two years so i've been building the equipment think about thinking about the concept uh coming up with uh different ideas for different topics and different guests and and slowly started reaching out to to some so yeah nice i like it especially you know the format is gonna I, I'm not sure if I ever got invited into like such a long form format. So for me, it means there's a way to talk about those things more in context because and you know, more in depth. I yes, mean. and that's that's what I was looking for, and that's why I accepted the the invite because well, thank you. I didn't really had a chance to talk about some things in detail in the past, um, where you know there are not that many podcasts or uh, ways how to do it except interviews. So I think. Uh, seeing from other you know industries and how people talk about technology, I think for designers, I think it could be an interesting point where um, you have an opportunity to express yourself and talk about what you do uh, more in detail and provide people some context. Exactly what we did about my role in the team or about Instagram, because people only see the results of it. And we had a chance to talk about it um, in a way so... They understand why we do certain decisions, and I, I think you're doing a pretty good job, or we'll be doing hopefully with um, letting those people um, having the platform to express what they want to talk about. And that's the goal. That's one of the goals. Yeah. Yes, that's gonna be amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I think we can close it off here. Okay. Uh, if there's really anything else that you'd like to say, all good. It. Thanks Thank for traveling you. to Prague. Well, thanks for having me here in, in this amazing office, really, and thanks for your time. Thanks as well.